John said, Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? Please pray with me. To your God in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, to be here with us in this place, and we trust that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So when I was younger, there was a professional wrestler called The Undertaker. How many of you saw that first sentence coming? I was myself personally never that into professional wrestling, but that... But back then, the characters were sort of more involved in the popular culture than they are now. So I was aware of it. The Undertaker was this giant man, a silent person. He never spoke or never smiled. And as I recall, he wore sort of a weird hat. That's all I remember about The Undertaker, except for this one thing that he used to do, this thing that has actually become a meme now. You know, it's a 21st century sermon when somebody refers to a meme Um, But I did just see it this week, which is what brought up all of these Undertaker memories for me. One of the things that the Undertaker would do is that it would seem as though he had lost a match. Indeed, he would even seem to be dead and be carted off in a coffin. Now, remember, this is professional wrestling. Um, But then he would all of a sudden pop straight up out of the coffin, ready to wrestle again, inevitably winning the match when we naive fools had believed him dead. So, why am I talking about The Undertaker? Well, because what I really want to talk about is Mariah Carey, uh, (laughs) perpetrator of the second worst Christmas song I know, All I Want for Christmas is You. Now, every winter, about two weeks after Halloween, Mariah Carey's voice pops up out of its coffin, (laughs) like The Undertaker. And this is the meme that I saw, ready to sing that unkillable song again, and again, and again. Now, I know that that song has fans, but it wasn't part of the catalog of Christmas music that I grew up with, so I don't have any room in my heart for it. My heart is too full of Bing Crosby, Ella Fitzgerald, and Leroy Anderson. And you know, profoundly moving classics like Harry Connick Jr.'s It Must Have Been Old Santa Claus which features the deeply theological Christmas greeting, happy ho, ho, ho to you. (laughs) So, why am I talking about Harry Connick Jr. and Mariah Carey? Well, because what I really want to talk about is John Lennon, who, and it pains me to say this, as a huge fan of the Beatles, is the perpetrator of the worst Christmas song I know. But I promise I'm only talking about John Lennon so that I can talk about John the Baptist. And then the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, oddly, John Lennon and John the Baptist actually seem to have a relatively similar message around Christmas time. Now, we read the Baptists this morning in Luke chapter 3, and Lennon's comes in a song called Happy Christmas, with starts, which starts with the line, So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another entry into the usually Santa Claus-related, it's Christmas, and so I hope you've been a good person genre. The Happy Christmas is more hippie, of course, 
Um, it's more like, it's Christmas, so let's all be loving and peaceful. But the implication is the same. Come on, guys. It's Christmas. Be good. Now, John Lennon is a genius, so it is a pretty melody. But it is a super judgmental song. And John the Baptist seems to be singing something pretty similar, right? He doesn't know that we'll call this holiday Christmas. So the first line of his song is, Almighty God is coming, and what have you done? You brood of vipers, what have you done? Who warned you, he says, to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now the crowds rightly hear this as bad news. Most of them, of course, were trying to be obedient to the law, but they'd been counting on the fact as a failsafe that having Abraham as their ancestor was enough to secure their place in God's family forever. After all, they're God's chosen people, right? But now they're being told that relation to Abraham isn't enough, that they need to repent of their sins and bear good fruit or else get thrown into the fire. They're like the lumps of gold that we read about last week in Malachi. They've been told that they're full of impurities and they have been shown the refiner's fire, all 2,000 degrees of it. And you can hear that the Baptist's tune is the same as John Lennon's, right? So this is Christmas. What have you done? God Almighty is coming. What have you done? Now, these Jews to whom John is speaking seem like the honestly introspective sort. They know the truth about themselves, so they recognize the truth about what John is saying. They know that when he says that God will gather wheat into his granary, that he's not talking about them. They can acknowledge that based on their lives, now that they don't have Abraham to count on, they risk being among the chaff that's going to be cast into the unquenchable fire. And they want to avoid this fate as anybody would, so they do the reasonable thing. They ask John how to get out of it. What should we do? They want to know. And John tells them. In our reading from Luke 3, we find three very specific, very practical suggestions for behavior modification. One for the crowd in general. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. We have a suggestion for the tax collectors. Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. And we have a suggestion for the soldiers. Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. And be satisfied with your wages. And listen, John the Baptist knows the sins of the people. And he knows about the holiness of Almighty God. So it's entirely appropriate for John to tell the people... God is coming. Get yourselves in order. Obey the law. 
Now he's thinking like we saw Isaiah thinking last week, that these people cannot survive an encounter with the holiness that's on the horizon. So they better watch out. If you'll remember from Isaiah 6, Isaiah recognized himself as a man of unclean lips and assumed that the holiness of God would destroy him. So what should we do in that headspace with the news that God is coming? Well, it's simple. Clean yourself up. Do the right thing. Get your impurities out. John has certainly read Isaiah. He knows that impurity is not the end of the story, that something amazing can happen. Remember in Isaiah that an angel touches Isaiah's lips with a burning coal and tells him that his sins have been atoned for. But John doesn't preach that sermon. He either doesn't quite know how or he simply hasn't been given the commission to do so. That's not John's sermon to preach. But he knows something's coming. So even in the midst of this proclamation, John makes sure that the people know that there's going to be some kind of difference between what he's doing and what the one who is to come is going to do. So after he tells these different groups of people what they should do to clean themselves up, he says, I'm not the Messiah. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is making it clear that he is not the one. Messiah is coming. And he is greater than John. And different than John. And as we'll see in a second, even John, John the Baptist, who Jesus himself calls the greatest of any man born of a woman, even John is surprised by what the Messiah actually does when he comes. The sermon that Jesus preaches and the atonement that Jesus accomplishes are a shock to everyone. In fact, this atoning work of Jesus carries such a different flavor than the winnowing fork and the fire of the sermon that John's been given to preach that John actually, at one point, wonders if Jesus could even be the one. Remember, after Jesus is finally arrived on the scene and been preaching and ministering for a while, John starts to get worried. Calling two of his disciples to him, writes Luke, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, we read, He, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's from Luke chapter 7. And it shows the nature of Jesus' ministry. 
the sermon he's been given to preach. His ministry finally is a ministry providing for people rather than requiring of them. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus and John are not at odds here. In fact, they are totally in sync about what it means to be obedient to a holy God. Jesus, indeed, takes John's simple down-to-earth suggestions about how to be good and ratchets them up to the highest possible height. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus then simply goes beyond the sermon that John was given to preach. He has something new to say. Jesus is himself a profoundly unique answer for those who find themselves unable to meet God's standard. John called the people to purify themselves, to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Jesus came to be the purifier, the means by which purification can actually be accomplished. He came to give the gift of purity to the people, to plant in them a new heart, one that would actually bear the good fruit that John's sermon could only ask for, but not produce. What John rightly demanded, Jesus generously provided. So what are we to make of John's prophecy? Even though Jesus is not what he expected, it's important to remember that John is not wrong. The axe is lying at the root of the trees. We should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. God does have a winnowing fork and he will separate the wheat from the chaff. But John just didn't know quite how profound the good news was going to be. The fire of God's wrath, instead of pouring out on the sinful world and all the sinners in it, poured out on Jesus Christ, the one God incarnate who came to save all the sin of the world taken onto his shoulders. He was the chaff for a moment for you. Like we said last week, he bore the flames. He bore the judgment. He bore the wrath in his body. And then the pure one, Jesus Christ, gave his purity to you. In and on account of him, and for no other reason at all, you, yes, even you, can be counted among the wheat. Saved forever. And then another miracle. Having been made wheat, you actually grow in him. This is the promise of God. His word will not return to him empty, but will water the earth. It will water his new creation in you. It will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. You will in fact bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Like John wanted, the fruit of the Spirit actually comes from you by grace in Christ as a gift from God. Jesus came to give what John 
asked for. The law keeper came to give his obedience to you, the law breaker. So we confess, we repent, we come to the table, we ask God to establish, sustain, and bring to completion faith in us, knowing that he is at work conforming us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Shortly after this sermon of John's, when his pointing ahead was finished, and the promised Messiah actually began to preach and teach, Jesus had words of good news about his mission for all the people who were rightly terrified by John's message. Good news for the people like you who thought that an axe laid at the root of the tree would cut them down. That they would be the ones thrown into the fire. That they weren't pure enough. The very first time Jesus sat down to teach in the synagogue, he took up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, unrolled it, and read from chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll and made the announcement that changed the world can change your life forever. Today, he said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the one, Jesus is saying. I am good news for you. I will be perfect for you, the imperfect ones. That announcement was true for that congregation there that day, and it is still true today for you. Jesus is good news for you. He is enough for you. Jesus can save you. John Lennon sang, So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Jesus' gospel gives us a new song, a song that we sing in joy and worship. This is Christmas. Let us celebrate what Christ has done for us. Amen.